Welcome back to the Midfield 3 Podcast. Chad and I are back after a little hiatus. I apologize about that. But we get right into it with some Super Bowl talk. Before going around the European continent for some soccer, we do Premier League, we touch on Spain, touch on Germany, do a little bit of January transfer window roundup. Uh, Yeah, it was a great pod. Short and sweet, I'd say, relative to our previous episodes. So yeah, enjoy. All right, Chad. It's Super Bowl week. What's going on? Um, unfortunately, we have to watch a 43-year-old man play a 26-year-old. I don't know what's called. They're not millennials, are they? 26? Is that a millennial? All right, whatever. Uh, we have to watch. I don't we know. Have, this is a good get, question. We get the real-life rendition of the boomer versus millennial matchup. I actually prefer this to the uh, Wall Street bets, GameStop versus Wall Street fiasco, personally. So uh, I'm excited, you know? I don't know. There's, I almost don't even know what to say about the Super Bowl. It's so overdone. Everyone's talking. Brady, Mahomes, Mahomes, Brady. Yeah, I mean, the narrative itself is, is overdone. But just sort of from a tactical standpoint, how do you see this playing out? Because it's like Chiefs offense, you've, you've got this three-headed monster of Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes. And even though Tampa Bay's defense is probably the, the form defense of the playoffs, uh, you know, you, you don't favor a defense going against the Chiefs. So how do you – what side of the ball is most interesting to you in this matchup? Um, defense for both teams. And here's why. We know the Chiefs' offense can score, and we know the Bucks' offense can score. But the Chiefs secondary has not been very good throughout this season. They've actually been a relatively lackluster unit. I mean, not lackluster. The team, the defense finished, I think, 11th overall in DVOA. So they're not a bad unit. But uh, their secondary has been their weak point, And they ranked dead last in red zone percentage out of the NFL. So those are not good defensive metrics, right? Against the Bills, though, they absolutely brought the heat. So Josh Allen basically stood on his head. He created all time of all sorts of time in the pocket and still his receivers essentially never got open all game. They were absolutely plastered in coverage. Uh, the chiefs did a great job. I literally didn't see Stefan Diggs open all night. John Brown barely had anything. Um, and I think, and they held tough in the red zone. They forced the bills to kick as you know, we infamously know a pair of field goals that they really probably shouldn't have kicked. So I think that's the chief's question is, the, the biggest X factor on the Chiefs is how good is that secondary? Are they going to hang in the way they did last week? And if they do, uh, I can't really imagine Tampa winning the game. Conversely, the same is true on the other side of the ball. The Chiefs lost Eric Fisher against the Bills to an Achilles injury. He's their starting left tackle. And they have already lost Mitchell Schwartz, their starting right tackle. Uh, the Bucks front four is, I mean, they're a monstrous group. Shaq Barrett is an animal. Jason Pierre-Paul is playing almost the best football of his career. You saw them combine for, I think, four sacks against Aaron Rodgers last week, and Aaron Rodgers had best protection in the NFL. Uh, You know, Mahomes is a little more mobile, sure, but whatever. At the end of the day, a good front four pass rush is a good front four pass rush, and I'm expecting, this is my prediction, I'm expecting Shaquille Barrett and and, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul to just absolutely hound Mahomes. Um, 
Nadama Kongsu, Vitavea, they can get some interior pressure too. So I feel good about the matchup for the Bucks on defense, that front four. In coverage, you don't like let's you, no one want likes the matchup with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, right? That's impossible. But uh I actually think that out of any team in the NFL, the Bucks do have the tools to at least try and slow Kelsey because often with tight ends, the problem is too big for cornerbacks to cover, too fluid for linebackers to cover. I don't know because the Bucks have Devin White. I think he might be the best middle linebacker in the league, except for maybe Fred Warner. Um, he's a stud, super fluid in pass coverage, great side to side speed. He's come up with a turnover against the, he's come up with turnovers, I think three combined turnovers against the Saints and uh, Green Bay. So I think between him and, you know, Tampa's more physical corner group, like Sean Murphy Bunting, they can, you know, throw some stunts against Kelsey, hit him, hand him off to Devin White, who does a really good job in coverage. So I actually am more worried about Tyreek Hill because I don't know if they have anyone who can handle his speed. Antoine Winfield will be back from injury. That helps. Hopefully he can, you know, try and stick with Hill. But if I'm the Chiefs, I mean, look, it's an old story. Every week, Mahomes, Tyreek Hill. I like how you how you pointed out again. You've you've texted me this to me before, that the Bucks defense, specifically the secondary, one of the things that has made them very effective in these playoffs so far is taking advantage of the leeway when it comes to physicality, and you know I think that positions them better than than most defenses to to come against this Chiefs team. But can you actually, you know, can you compensate for Hill's speed with some extra numbers and and sort of like tightening <laughs> the zones? Or is that just, yeah. you know, you just have to, you know, do you, do you, would you rather him getting high-frequency passes short or would you rather take a risk longer and hopefully, you know, make that coverage a little bit better going far, far down the field, even if that leaves Kelsey as, as you know, your sort of like massive slot receiver in that more comfortable distance? Yeah, well, the last time these two teams played, the Bucks decided to stick their top corner, Gabriel Davis, uh, in man on Tyreek Hill. And Tyreek Hill had about 269 yards and three touchdowns in the first quarter. So it didn't go well. So I'm expecting they're not going to stick Tyreek Hill in man. Um, I personally, Tyreek Hill is going to make plays. You have to live with it. But I, I don't think it's a matter of forcing him short or deep. I think it's just a matter of trying to throw bodies at him at different levels. So we saw the Bucks do this to Devontae Adams against Green Bay. I want them to do it to Hill. Basically, you put one of your physical corners, whether it's – I mean, I don't, he's, I don't think Hill will line up in the slot much, so I don't think he'll match up with Sean Murphy bunting. But let's say Gabriel Davis is on um, Hill. Basically, you put Gabriel Davis in press coverage. He tries to bump Hill to slow him down, and then he runs with Hill for a little bit. Let's assume Hill, you know, beats Davis. Probably going to happen if history's any indication. What happens then is you keep one of the safeties kind of in the middle in zone coverage. And then when Tyreek Hill beats Davis and he comes out of, you know, whatever the Bucks define as Davis's zone, the safety, whether it's Whitehead or Winfield, comes down and they pick up Hill and they try to play man. It's not a perfect solution at all. But I, I would run it in some place just to basically force Mahomes to spend more time in the pocket for Hill to get open as opposed to letting him just boom a guy in man coverage because that then creates more time for that aforementioned pass rush to find it. On the other side of the ball with Tampa Bay's offense, you know, the team is getting 
traction as a as a contender here. I mean, you know, fair enough. We've got Tom motherfucking Brady. Um, <laughs> and the betting market, I think, has been pretty, uh, you know, they've put the odds so that a lot of people are are happy to pick Tampa. And, you know, as you've repeatedly said to me, you know, don't bet against Tom Brady. It's against it's against your instinct to bet against Tom Brady. <laughs> so to what degree, how do you see, how do you actually see this matchup in terms of Tim Bay can score here and Chiefs defense not been incredible, but how are you actually rating them in comparison to the Chiefs offense right now? The Bucks offense relative yeah. to the Chief, Chiefs offense? Yeah. I mean, Chiefs offense is better. Mahomes is younger. It's pretty straightforward. But, uh, I mean, the Bucks have shown all season they can score. Mike Evans, he's a dog. He's going to cost someone a lot of pain. The I think Scotty Miller, we saw him catch that one deep ball against Green Bay. That would play not, was ridiculous. That play was absurd. Ridiculous. I would not be surprised if he comes over the top and catches one again. Um. It's it's really hard to say. I think the Chiefs' offense is obviously more potent going down the field quickly, even though the Bucks run a vertical deep ball offense. And uh, it's hard to predict. You know, the Bucks, Bruce Arians has a tendency of not changing his offensive game plan. But I would not be shocked to, to see them go to that traditional formula and just kind of pound the ball up the middle. Leonard Fournette's played some good ball. Ronald Jones should be healthy. And just try to take time away from Mahomes. Are you gonna go out and and be public with a with a pick? Oh God, eh. my brain is telling me the Chiefs, so I'm gonna go ahead and pick the Bucks. Interesting strategy. Um, similar to to me picking uh, two number one seeds to make the Super Bowl when we last did this, I'm going to be remarkably <laughs> less interesting uh, and go Chiefs. And it's, it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be, I mean, I don't know. When you have two so excellent offenses like this, but it's a final. I mean, this is something we see in soccer and something that uh, I'm always going to remember the, the Rams pit past Super Bowl. Sometimes a final just gets very, <laughs> just gets very choppy. Uh, no risk taken. Revert to, to solid defense and just, you know, um, hoping you catch some breaks on offense. Is this yeah. going to be high scoring? Yeah, it's going to be high scoring. Pat Pat Mahomes is playing in the game, Jack. It's going to be a high scoring football game. Yeah, I I shouldn't I really shouldn't doubt that. I I'm going <laughs> to go Chiefs, and I'll say something like 31-21. I'm going to go 34-31 Bucks. Okay. All right, that is the Super Bowl done. Go on to our our second sport here, soccer. I watched Chelsea, Real Madrid. Uh, together, we watched a little Arsenal, Man United over the weekend. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah. So I've got some thoughts in, in, some, in some different areas, but I, I kind of want to start a little bit selfishly here on Tuchel coming in with for Chelsea. <laughs> and say, first of all, weird time to sack Lampard, I think, actually. I don't know why the club waited until after the Luton Town FA Cup game. It would have seems much more effective to have sacked him the night after, the day after Leicester uh, on that Tuesday, and then give Tuchel the space to work 
and you know put out uh, his first squad after a couple of days on the training ground against Luton, which is not going to pose any serious threat. <laughs> and then keep refining. But I mean, I don't know. It's going well enough so far. Maybe they needed that time to sort of sort out the contract and such. In terms of style of play, um, I don't love Jorginho. <laughs> I, you know, his his the frequency with which he plays backwards and sideways passes and, you know, shirks the turn and look forward and just comes into the back line at weird times and kind of pushes up without doing anything. All of these the way tendencies, he's bad. He's bad. Yeah, yeah. All of those tendencies under Frank, L- Frank Lampard and to a lesser extent, sorry, just uh, really frustrated me, at least under sorry in the early days, you saw that it was achieving the style of play whether or not that was a good and effective style of play is a different question Tuchel has really liked him so far played him in both games clearly a build-up hub and this is something that we've seen from Tuchel before especially with with Julian Weigel I've sort of like gone back and read all the articles are like well here's what to accept with Tuchel and watched a couple YouTube tactics videos so I feel a bit torn with this do you have any any thoughts on Chelsea's status right now how you think about Tuchel uh, what our prospects this season are. Well, I hope that he drops uh, Jorginho because I think he can find another player who does the job, you know, equally well and offers a little more creativity. Um, but beyond that, my main fascination with Tuchel is Crawlgate. For those of you who don't know, Tuchel made promising uh, starlet 18-year-old Emery Moore crawl across the field on all fours repeatedly as punishment back at Borussia Dortmund in some godforsaken year. And when Emery Moore, uh, you know, in the position promptly on all fours, dared to complain, Tuchel ran over to him, stood over him, and yelled, shut your mouth, shut your mouth, shut your mouth, while making Emery Moore continue to crawl across the field. Uh, Personally, huge fan of the strategy, extremely effective. We saw how it turned out for Emery Moore. He is now an international superstar, turned out great. Uh, I'm excited to see him do this to Timo Werner. Every time Timo Werner isn't scoring a game, I want to see after the game, Tuchel standing over Werner, yelling some horrible German phrase and making him crawl. Yeah, it's Tuchel's prickliness is kind of, I think at some, at sometimes the media is, is being pretty complimentary and being like, Oh yeah, he's pissed off some people in the past. It doesn't always have great relations. Um, so it's kind of hard to, to like weed through articles in terms of what this actually was. But I, I know one athletic article said something like everyone at the training ground at Borussia, every, every you know, staff member, not, not necessarily players, but every staff member who worked at the Borussia Dortmund training ground like lived in fear of his outbursts. <laughs> I'm like, that doesn't sound healthy. And, you know... So, you know, with Tuchel, when everyone at the Borussia Dortmund training ground, quote-unquote, like, lives in fear of his outbursts, that does not sound like a particularly healthy environment. That being said, um, he's had good relationships with players that he's, he takes particular interest in. Julian Nagelsmann said in his time at Augsburg, uh, when they sort of overlapped there, that he's the kind of coach that players either get on really well with or not at all. So, in that perspective... I think I think in the modern game, you kind of have to do your best to to be Klopp and and love your players because otherwise, you know, players have WhatsApp groups and they're going to keep talking and especially at a club like Chelsea where the managerial merry-go-round is is always pumping, um, you know, you want 
players can come in, not a single one has a bad opinion of you. And obviously, you probably can't please everyone. So we'll see how that plays out. Rest of the Premier League, uh, your team, Leicester, had a, had a not great loss this past weekend. Is this just a blip? Is this, you know, Bielsa doing his Bielsa things? Jamie Vardy is hurt. Also, if you rewind the tape, uh, Leicester did not play poorly at all. They were on the end of a couple of goals disallowed by VAR. Uh, I I thought they played pretty good football overall. Leeds are a sticky team. Sometimes you get beat. Um, Sometimes you don't have your best day. We were missing our best player. We put in a good effort. It sucks, but I'm not worried. Everyone drops games, and I think we're going to get on the right foot tomorrow against Fulham. How do you compensate when Jamie Vardy's not out? Do you wish that Leicester had gone out and uh, got someone in the January transfer window here that more effectively places them, or do you think it's in-house? I mean, people have suggested Harvey Barnes. The opinion's kind of split as to whether or not he, uh, you want him there, but I, I think there's certainly a chance he could work there. Yeah, he scored a very nice goal. He actually played very good football the other day against Leeds. Um, I was really impressed with him. I think he'll continue to play up top. We'll miss his goal scoring out wide, but I'm actually not desperate for a signing because I think um, Ayoya Perez and Senzi Gunther both still have something to offer. Particularly, I want to see Under kind of kick on and utilize some of that much heralded potential. So I'm not I'm not mad we didn't sign someone. I think we've got options on the bench and. I want to see them come through. Now with City looking like they're they're really getting going, um, what is your and Tottenham? I should say, uh, it, in the opposite uh, momentum. Um, naturally, yeah. Who is who is your top six at the end of the season right now? Like, where do you? I think this is we're kind of at an inflection point with the with the year, where I think from here on out, uh, some of the trends from the first half of the season are now kind of dissolving. Some new ones are emerging. So what is your predicted top six for the end of the season? Tough. Um, on some level, this is kind of straightforward, right? Man City at top, they're playing the best football in the league. It's a tough case to say that they're not. I mean, I don't really know what their weak point is. Let's put it that way. They're scoring goals. They're defending really well. John Stone's playing awesome football. I like him next to Ruben Neves. So I'm going to go ahead and put them uh, number one. So Liverpool are behind Man U by a few, like, I forget the exact points, but I think four with a game in hand right now. Although it looks like Man U are going to win as we talk. But I think Liverpool are going to have enough to overcome Man U as they figure out that defense and incorporate um, Ben Davies. So I'm going to go Man City one, Liverpool two. Man United, four. I don't. I know they're in second, but they're a little inconsistent for my liking. And I'm going to push Leicester to three because I think they're playing awesome football. On the other end, I honestly, maybe I'm crazy, but I think Tuchel's going to get Chelsea firing. I'm going to go ahead and slot Chelsea fifth. And uh, this is boring. I'm sorry, Everton. I'm sorry, West Ham. But uh, when Harry Kane comes back, Tottenham should have enough to finish sixth. I wouldn't say I'm far off yours. I, I, Man City is currently my favorite. Like you said, every single part of the team is clicking. Every single part of the team is clicking. Ilkay Gundogan is playing like himself and Sergio Aguero <laughs> simultaneously. Uh, the defense is impeccable. Liverpool, I guess, is, is 
the closest challenger, but this I think this blip has, has hurt them, even though this year the eventual winner, title winner, is going to have a much lower points total than years past. So City 1, Liverpool 2. I'm going Man United 3. I also worry about the consistency a little bit. Um, but fundamentally, I prefer them to Leicester uh, in the sense that I think United might pull out some results against slightly bigger sides and they've sort of gotten over their uh, failure to beat lower te- lower down the table teams <laughs> than in years past. Um, and they're also just kind of in, in a clinical moment right now. Rashford's pumping, um, Greenwood's going well, and Fernandez is, isn't even having uh, the greatest run of his short spell at United so far. So I'm going United 3, Leicester 4, because they've been incredibly dependable uh, dependably good this season five is not so easy for me because um i do have some faith in tuchel here but also i don't want to sort of overplay the the spurs drop off i i will go chelsea five um and i do kind of worry for for tottenham i'm not gonna lie i mean i don't think aston villa um have actually given us much to worry about i i'm a little bit more concerned about West Ham uh, and Everton going forward than I am about Villa, actually. Um, and I know that's kind of not the fashionable thing to say about West Ham right now, but it's kind of like if Thomas Suchek isn't playing well, uh, how what's what's West Ham's ceiling? So I'm going to go... I, I will go Chelsea 5, Tottenham 6, but I would say look out for Villa, actually, to... Villa's my current favorite for seventh, and if they ended up end up sort of nabbing it from Spurs on on week thirty seven or thirty eight, I wouldn't be surprised. I would back that. Makes sense to me. Can we talk about Spain for a little bit? Oh yeah. A lot of the talk right now is with Barca's financial meltdown, um, and them being incompetent off the pitch. They're actually kind of getting it back together on the pitch. How do you see the next year playing out for Barca? Oh, gosh. Messi leaves. Um, it's a good thing. Sorry. I know he's the best player in the world, and I know it's going to hurt the on-field product, and I'm really a proponent of just you know selling out to always win short-term because you know, there are too many variables in long-term projects that usually don't work out anyways. But... This time, you know, details about Messi's contract have leaked. They're paying him way too much. They are struggling financially. Clearing his wage bill is a big help. Do I trust Barca to do the prudent thing and not sign a player this summer? No, of course I don't. <laughs> but um, I think that's what they should do. I don't think, you know, they have some young players. They have in-house replacements. I don't think they need to go out and accrue another wage bill when they're still already owing money them, I think, 15 past transfers. So um, how do I see it playing out? Messi leaves. They probably do something dumb and spend cash on some 30-year-old player somewhere and finish second next year in La Liga. But how should it play out? Messi leaves. They don't spend any cash. They finish third in La Liga. Whatever. You know, get your financial stuff straight. Sell the aging parts of the squad. Then worry about contending. They should have sold Messi in the summer for however much they could have got. However much they could have got. Because now he's going to leave on a free. And yes, his money is going to be off the wage bill, and that is probably more important than a, than a transfer than receiving a transfer fee. But 
they're also 800 million in debt. So a 50 million a transfer fee would have done a ton. Cata catastrophic loss, yeah. And, you know, I guess their saving grace is that, well, actually, here's, here's the, the, the dilemma, right? So Deloitte recently released sort of like the money league stuff. And Barcelona still gets a lot of revenue. But it's probably right. a lot from, from selling Messi shirts. So <laughs> the second, so as long as he stays, it's this kind of double-edged sword where as long as he stays, you've got this built-in source of massive, this built-in source of incredible revenue. But the second he goes, you've got that wage uh, no longer being a hindrance, but you know, you kind of lose. And Barcelona is always going to be marketable for as long as they're good, which is going to or good and good enough. As we've seen with Manchester United, you don't have to win a title every year to be incredibly marketable. So they're not going to have that issue necessarily, but you're going to lose one of the most marketable, if not the most marketable players in soccer. So they've really just got to get their, their shit together and then we'll talk, right? Yeah, I mean, look, Man United sold Ronaldo, and Ronaldo then wasn't the marketing phenomenon he is now, but they survived. They're still popular. Ultimately, the question is, how much does Messi cost them a year to field? He probably costs them, I mean, we know he costs them like 126 mil, at least. Probably costs them a lot more. Um, then, then you factor in how much does he earn them on the field so do you still make the champions league without messi i think they do i think griezmann would probably step up into a larger role without messi so you know he's not really driving your earnings off the field uh as you said they're still marketable so the question is does messi's marketing value in other words how much merchandise he sells and how much he contributes to their tv contract which the answer is not at all i think um exceed how much they owe him I don't have the exact figure just from an economics perspective, though. I'd be shocked if that was the case. Yeah. And to the second most dysfunctional team in Spain, Real Madrid. <laughs> um, I watched the, the Madrid game this weekend. The Militao sending off uh, was obviously a huge hindrance, and that was perhaps questionable. It was, it was kind of light. But I do think this comes back to Real Madrid right now are caught in between a couple of generations here where the most effective players are your Benzema, your Kroos, your Modric, your Ramos, sometimes Marcelo, and I think Mandi has, uh, has, has made that his own, Dani Carvajal. And you have a lot of great young players. I mean, I think Ferdi Valverde is great. Whether Rodrigo and Vinicius will be worth the money, only time will tell. But you had Jovic, got him out on loan. You had Odegaard sent him out on loan. Zidane is completely incapable of transitioning teams. You know, he left the, after those three Champions Leagues because I think he was knowledgeable or aware that he would not be able to reach the same height as this team was aging and then came back into a situation uh, of failures of his own making and is now paying the price, right? Yeah, uh, it's pretty suffice analysis. I have nothing to add. The willingness or the lack of willingness to try and actually integrate Jovic and actually integrate Odegaard and put Vinicius on the, on the left and Rodrigo on the right for a consistent spell of games just really, really has got to frustrate every single Madrid fan, I think. Because as much as you love your Benzema, you love your Modric. Uh, like, 
Hazard has not exactly been great, and I don't know who the hell your second string right winger really is. I, I sense he was in a nice vein of form right now, but it's just yeah. another, <laughs> another, and uh, more emotional decisions, more financially imprudent decisions. Um, it's just I, I find it absolutely insane how Real Madrid and Barcelona are simultaneously this dysfunctional when we have this wealth of data and information that will be able to make decisions so much better than, than these clubs are making right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, straightforward. I let it on for, for a 100-point season through, through the halfway. Any thoughts there? Or is it just they're, they're it. taking advantage of a, of a good situation? I love it. And when they win, I want Luis Suarez to reunite with Army Hammer. And they can go. I don't want to say out on the town. That sounds wrong. Out on the, I mean, who who do you bite if you're Louis Suarez and Army Hammer and you win a title? Who is your first person you bite? I was not expecting an Army Hammer reference. That was that was too good. Struggling to come up with a target for these two. I well, is it? It might be like a love bite, you know. I'm I if I'm Suarez, sure. I give if I'm Suarez, I give a love bite to Joseph Bartomeu. He was so dysfunctional that he ruined Barcelona, sold Suarez, treated Suarez poorly, and ended up putting Suarez on the team that dominated the league. Do they so, bite each other? No, no. Bartomeu doesn't bite Suarez. No, I mean, does Hammer and, and Suarez bite each other? Oh, bite each I other. mean, I hope not. That sounds... <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, I don't want to think about that, but I do think he should bite uh, Bartomeu. And his hate bite, if that's his love bite, you know, like biting the hand that feeds. Um, yes. I think his hate bite. Well, I think his hate bite should go to Diego Costa for being a worse version of Suarez. Yes, because yeah. Diego Costa, instead of being a good teammate, he threw a little temper tantrum, demanded his release, you know, cried. It was basically like it, they could have been. I mean, this could have been the greatest shit housing duo we've ever seen, and Diego Costa opted out, which I guess really is the epitome of shit housing, but. Still a shame. This is true. That's that's quite meta, actually. Yeah. That is quite meta. All right, final soccer topic. Actually, you know, let's uh let's go two more small ones here. German title race. Looks like Bayern's gonna run away with it here. Who are you most disappointed in of the of the chasing pack? <laughs> I wanna say I'm disappointed in Leverkusen, but really I saw this coming. Um, I'm more disappointed in RB Leipzig. I didn't necessarily think they had more talent on paper, but at this point, Nagelsmann has established himself as such an X factor in the coaching chair. I was just kind of praying he could make it happen, you know? And this sounds nuts because Dortmund are theoretically the more talented team, and they are the team that has easily, you know, performed the worst relative to their expectation. But uh, I didn't I didn't ever really feel Dortmund were going to do it just because so many years in a row they haven't done it. And you know, from a more analytical standpoint, it was fair to question them after, you know, basically three straight meltdowns, whether Favre could get over the hump. Uh, he couldn't. He got fired. So, you know, I disappointed from an emotional standpoint. Leipzig really hoped Nagelsmann could kind of make this one more of a two-horse race this year. They've been so hamstrung by a lack of goal scoring. Yeah. Now, you lo- obvious, That's kind of obvious when you say you lose Timo Werner, but, you know... <laughs> You really did not replace him. Alexander Sorloth has not gone to plan. I found it strange that you bring in Sorloth and you already have Paulson. Um, that doesn't exactly recreate the Paulson Werner dynamic, if that's what you were hoping to do. Um, but yeah, just 
lack of goals. And they've clearly they've got great creators. I mean, Dani Olmo, Kevin Campbell, etc. So <sighs> I I agree with you on on Leipzig front. And you know, I am disappointed in Leverkusen in so much as uh, this is just kind of felt. I I think my my emotional disappointment in Dortmund also applies to Leverkusen in the sense that some great players here. You know, when Bosch's football is, is rock and roll and it looks really good to watch. Um, but, you know, kind of coming predictably short as well, even though they had my hopes up at one point. Final thing of the day. Favorite January transfer window move. Well, one last thing in Germany. Uh, shout out Bayer Leverkusen. They got knocked out of the German Cup today. They lost to a fourth tier side I've never heard of and whose name I cannot pronounce. Um, I'm thrilled with this result. I can only as- assume it means that eventually we are going to have good karma. You know, if we lose to terrible teams nobody's heard of before enough, you know, eventually we'll beat somebody. So, shut up, Bayer Leverkusen. Hasn't 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 exactly worked in the past 19 years. 19? You mean 125? Well, I know, but I mean specifically going back to the cursed year of 2002. Yeah, but well, it hasn't exactly been made up for yet. Right. I mean, we we are never accused. We have not won a title in 125 years. But uh, yeah, maybe 130 is the one. I don't know. 150. Hopefully. Well, hopefully. Cross your fingers. Um, favorite transfer window move. I'm gonna go labor accused again. They signed uh, Frimpong right back from Celtic. He's young. Barely cost them any money. I think he cost them like eight million, ten million. Uh, I think he's got genuine potential to become a real top-end starter in the Bundesliga. I want to say he was uh, a Man City youth player. I mean, I want to check in on that real quick. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would not be shocked if that were the case. It's a pretty prodigious academy. Yeah, it was. He Man City youth player, um, and I, he's one of he's been one of Celtic's best players over the past couple of seasons. So. Very astute sign-in and locks down a position that you guys haven't really had a solution for for the past couple of years, or a consistent solution, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to so. give a quick shout-out to Takumi Minamino going to Southampton. I think that oh, was I a pretty, like that. pretty wise low move in terms of both uh, a good player who I'd like to see get more playing time, but also stylistically you have Rangnick, or sorry, Hasenhugel, Hasenhugel, um, coming from the Leipzig system or Leipzig school. Takumi Minamino played at Salzburg for Jesse Marsh. Sort of similar 4-4-2, 4-2-2-2 kind of styles going on. And um, I do respect Musa Genapo and Stuart Armstrong, uh, but I think which, whether Takumi Minamino plays off the left or the right, um, looking inside, I think that's that's a certain upgrade on those guys. Would have um, to agree. Yeah. So, also, and Ozan Kabak, obviously, <laughs> Schalke have looked absolutely horrific for a year now. Um, oh, so longer it, than that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. The Wagner, the wheels didn't really come off until December 19 with Wagner. They, they were flying pretty fairly true. out before that. That's true. Um, and, you know, Ozan Kabak has, has been getting some talk for the past 18 months or so. Um, I, you know, everyone says there's still some potential there, and it's hard to, to blame a center back for being bad uh, when the rest of his team is bad. 
So we'll see how that works. And it's it's just an efficient deal for Liverpool in terms of $1 million loan fee. Um, then they can can go for a permanent transfer fee. They like what they see and fills a, a need. So I'm definitely going to keep my eye on that. Yeah, calm business. Any final thoughts on the week? How soon can it end? Yeah, this hasn't been a great weekend of the school. Yeah, no, that's all I got. That's all. We've, it's a long weekend, though. So, right. you can sit back and relax and enjoy the Super Bowl relatively stress free. Right. <laughs> You're not convinced by that analysis. No. All right, well. well <laughs> long thanks weekend. Thanks for listening. Homework. <laughs> very true, very true. Thanks for listening. We'll be back at you next week talking about. Primarily the Super Bowl, I'm sure, but also dabbling across the world of soccer as we normally do. Au revoir.